Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. This is where we look at why what's on the charts is on the charts. And a couple of great special guests coming up this week. Yeah. One is Paul Williams, President and Chairman of ASCAP, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, uh, ahead of this year's 14th ASCAP I Create Music Expo that's being held uh, next week, May 2nd through the 4th uh, in Hollywood. Uh, great lineup of uh, panelists, Questlove. Victoria Monet. There are just a couple of them. She's the co-writer of uh, Ariana Grande's Thank You, Next, and Seven Rings. Uh, really meant to be a great resource, especially uh, when it comes to the business side of being a songwriter in 2019. So uh, we'll talk to Paul all about that. He's also written some classic songs. He co-wrote Rainbow Connection, Trevor. I'm so excited to be talking to the guy who co-wrote, among other songs, Rainbow Connection. I remember singing that in fifth grade chorus. Oh, let's let, let's relive the glory days. And uh, Gary has volunteered to give us a, you know, a, a um, an encore performance all these years later. So, how's it go? Let's go. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? There it is. Rainbows are visions. Sounds a lot like Kermit the Frog, doesn't it? See, uh, y'all messed up giving this man an edit button. Uh, so we'll ask uh, Paul about that. Uh, also, Expo panelist Anthony Rosamondo is going to join us as well. Uh, panelist and just happens to have co-written a song called Shallow that Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper uh, just took the number one on the Hot 100. So we'll find and out. helped uh, Anthony take home an Oscar. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll find out. Uh, life must be pretty good right now uh, for Anthony. So uh, we'll find out all about that with Paul and Anthony coming up. Uh, huge week on the charts, too. A lot of notable uh, movement in the top 10 of the Hot 100. Uh, let's listen. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Please me, baby. Turn around and just tease me, baby. You know what I want and what I need, baby. Let me hear you say. Number nine. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type. I'm the bad guy. 
Duh. Number eight. Number seven. Look what you made me do. I'm somebody. Number six. I'm a sucker for you. Number five. So you can take advantage of me. Tell me how's it feel sitting up there. Feeling so high, but too far away to hold me. You know I'm the one who put you up there. Deep in the sky, does it ever get lonely? Thinking you could live without me. Thinking you could live without me. Number four. Number three. Number two. And number one. I got the horses in the back. The good, old, is old, the good old town road. The good old town road. It's like it's like a wheel of fortune puzzle, you know. It's like before and after. You kind of split the old. The good old old town road. Whatever it is, is number one this week again on the Hot 100. Lil Nas X featuring old Billy Ray Cyrus. The track. Uh, I mean, you've we've chronicled the rise of this every week. I'm sure you've seen. Out there, all everything about this song, massive song. Last week it broke the streaming record um, that Drake had held in my feelings when it had just just under 143 million streams. We are talking 125 million streams, so obviously moving back from what it did last week, but still enough to have the second best streaming week of all time. So that moves Drake's in my feelings to third place when it had around 116 million. So, um, you know, I know people obviously expecting Old Town Road to do major things when the remix came out. We'd seen that it was number one and two on a lot of streaming services for basically that whole week. But, you know, you never really know after that first week of such a, a big impact and a big splash how far back to earth some of these songs will fall. And, I mean, to still hold on to 125 million of that 143, that's about a 12% drop. I mean, that's still 
like outstanding, really. Yeah, and sales went from 124,000 to 91,000, which again is a really huge amount, especially in uh, 2019. So still uh, huge on sales. Uh, Airplay continues to build. It's up uh, 3318 on radio songs, uh, growing at pop, growing at R&B, hip hop. Uh, rhythmic. It's actually back on the country airplay chart uh, this week. Uh, lower rungs with uh, more morning show plays. So uh, yeah, airplay building at a variety of formats for Old Town Road. Who the old country airplay is back in that? We thought that specter was gone. Uh, so uh, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh, Realized we had him on the podcast a couple of years ago. Uh, Jim Asker in Nashville interviewed Billy Ray Cyrus for the 25th anniversary of Achy Breaky Heart. And uh, I don't think any of us, Billy Ray Cyrus himself, would have expected that a couple of years later he'd be number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, here's just a little piece of that chat. We thought we'd uh, bring it back. Uh, it's Billy Ray talking about how he broke through in 1992 with uh, Achy Breaky Heart. Uh, whether he expected any of that kind of uh, just absolute pop culture domination and also how he went from being actually a fairly well-known artist regionally but uh, completely changed when Achy Breaky Heart uh, broke nationally. When did you decide to put Achy Breaky Heart as your first single? Did you decide on that? Everybody was pretty lean in that direction. It felt like the right, you know, but it was – it just felt like what it was did supposed to Did you have any idea it would blow up like it did? No. Not really, not like that. I didn't. I couldn't even imagine that. Remember, you're talking to a guy that lived in his car. It pretty much started I, the line dancing craze. I was there, so I remember. You were there. I, you know, and um, it just blew up like nothing <laughs> I had ever seen. Your first album, though, Some Gave All, tremendous album. I'm not just saying that, but it spent 34 weeks at number one on our top country albums chart. 17 weeks on the Billboard 200. That's crazy. And the album is real. Can I just ask that album is really deep. Some great songs, some really, and Icky Breaky Heart's a great song. Did you ever think that, okay, this serious project I have, this album is a pretty deep project, that, that the fun song might diminish how deep that album was or no? At that time, remember, I'm living in my car. I, you ever lived in a Chevy Beretta? There's not a lot of room. And that was, I'd been in there for about a year at that time. I, I was more like, let's just, again, started with Some Gave All, then we, we had the Could other Could have songs. been me. That's right. And then Country Rock, great song. Yes. Reed Nelson okay. wrote that. Great I song. loved that song. Could have been me. That was our, our second follow-up. Um, and it, it turned out to be, you know, a, a great record. Like, it was the right call to follow up Achy Breaky Heart, which is, it was just a, a a good it just showed a different side of you and thing. how deep that album was. And that achy, breaky fever, did that, it was pop culture, did that, I mean, from sleeping in your car to becoming uh, a mega pop culture, that had to be kind of jarring for you as a young man, right? Well, I wasn't that young, though. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I was I was About 30. 30. I was 29, maybe, when it came out. Okay. And then I turned 30. And, uh... So, but, but you but, go from sleeping in your car to everybody wanting a piece of you in in like ten weeks' time. It was pretty crazy. That that part was crazy. Now there's a little bit of this, in a way, it's on a different scale. But in Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia, I was already kind of living that. Like there was, I couldn't go out the grocery store out in that realm. People thought I'd already made it. That's what was a bit of a catch-22 for me. There, they already thought I'd done something. Mm -hmm. But for me, I knew the reality. The only thing, I'm I'm here, and I can open up all these shows and do all this stuff, but I need a record deal. I need a 
somebody to help me facilitate getting the music heard around the world. That was my goal, was to make music that could move an audience around the world. And um, so when Mercury Records and Polygram came into the picture, that was the missing link. You know, one thing interesting about Old Town Road, too, is as this song continues to keep breaking, I guess it kind of is weird. It feels like it's like already broken as big as it as it possibly could get. But uh, that radio front so interesting because we talked a lot on this podcast probably in the last year and a half or so about the reluctance of pop music to or pop radio stations top 40 to really grab onto some of these songs that they're not quite sure what to do with not sure where the genre fits not sure how you know if it's just a passing fad or something that's reliable and for old town road to be i mean as you mentioned up 15 spots on the radio song chart this week um definitely a presence at mainstream top 40 in some ways you know a bigger presence on pop and rhythmic than it is on urban and it feels like i mean you know this this is really one of those songs that i would not have expected them to grab on with both hands because even though, you know, sonically it may be different, yeah. it just felt like, I, I mean, for, I guess it's it's kind of interesting that somewhat, you know, a Travis Scott is someone who's got more sort of reliability, some more uh, hits under his belt, has a harder time breaking through than, you know, this viral guy out of nowhere. Yeah. I wonder if some ways that can work against you when you have uh, history, maybe that's exclusively in R&B hip hop, maybe uh, pop programmers think, well, that's. That's uh, on that side. hasn't had a pop hit yet. So, is this the one that's going to break this? This artist comes in with with no background whatsoever, and it's there's no preconceived notions whether it can work at, at pop. Uh, also, a lot of that that, precon- that preconceived notions that's that's a trap. Yeah, it's a trap. Uh, a lot of that uh, rap that isn't being played on pop radio. A lot of it is the SoundCloud rap that's uh, tends to be not. Uh, not very up tempo, not necessarily happy sounding. Where pop radio kind of has its uh, its base sound. This song really uh, checks a lot of those pop boxes. It's it's very melodic. It's uh, it's pretty up tempo. It's it's fun. So I think kind of that way fits a little bit more at top forty. I don't wanna be alone tonight. It's pretty clear that I'm not over you. Uh, new song in the top 10 this week on Hot 100. We are talking Sam Smith and Normani dancing with a stranger. Up from number 12 last week to number 7. Uh, this one of those things too, I, I feel like it, this is this is maybe maybe the playbook that Normani's got. I mean, we saw with Love Lies um, how long that song took to get to the top 10 on Hot 100. It debuted back in March 2018, didn't hit the top 10 until September. So we're talking... Uh, almost a six month journey to the top, uh, top 10 on the chart. Dancing with a stranger, kind of not quite as long, but still, you know, a lengthy journey, 14 weeks on the chart now to get to the top 10. And obviously we're so used to with streaming and, you know, sort of the instant demand songs debuting really a lot higher, maybe sinking. It really feels kind of rare to have a song, especially with some established acts, you know, sort of drift its way to the top 10, kind of like this. And I think, uh, Great for Normani because I think a lot of people, you know, when you see that instant debut and you see that it debuted in the 50s or the, the 60s, people are so quick to label it flop, you know, oh, she can't do it, she's done. And, you know, now she's got not one but two top 10 hits that prove that she's got longevity, which is something that a lot of people probably could use. And uh, just vocally, it's a great vocal for both of these are both, these are both singers to see that in the top 10, just a song that, uh, great melody, but in terms of just powerhouse vocals, that's uh, pretty impressive. Uh, also, um, I mean, I know Normani gets a lot of the shine for this song because we're still waiting on that album. She's, you know, she had Love Lies, so it feels like this is all 
leading up to big 2019 for Normani, but Sam Smith as well. I mean, um, not that he was in need of a necessarily big hit, but I guess maybe after the last album didn't quite measure up to what the debut album had before. You kind of forget that, you know, with after Too Good to, Too Good a Goodbye, Sam Smith kind of, you know, wasn't 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 sure what was going on with him. So for him to have another top ten on Hot 100 as well, I think uh, is something that's obviously really positive for him. Also new in the top ten this week, BTS. Halsey, Boy With Love. So uh, lots of records set with this debut at number eight. Uh, highest peak for a BTS and highest peak ever for a K-pop group on the Hot 100. Uh, best streaming week ever for any K-pop act. Uh, 29.9 million streams in the U.S. beats the 27.4 million for uh, BTS's Fake Love last year when that debuted. Uh, one thing I learned uh, from Twitter this week, Trevor, is uh, the, oh, the, the, the no. army. No, the army. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know. I thought this was an interesting point. Uh, when I was bringing up uh, points about this is the first uh, time a K-pop act has, has done this or that. A lot of the response was, uh, "Don't just group BTS in with K-pop. At this point, they are they're doing what no other K-pop act is doing. Obviously, fans of an actor are going to say that, but uh, yeah, I think there's probably some truth to that. That uh, they are uh, doing so much that it would be impressive for really any genre. Yeah, I mean, I guess one of those questions that you know, obviously, you know, question marks and conversations about genre have been ripe in this past uh, couple months." But yeah, I guess there's a lot of people who wonder, like, to what degree, you know, are K, you know, is K-pop pop? Uh, you know, how do you how do you navigate that sort of landscape that, you know, pop has been reserved for a certain kind of artist, a certain look, or a certain whatever? And I mean, if K-pop is essentially pop just out of Korea, right? Then you know, I mean, is is it is it just should we just call BTS a pop group at this point? And do all of us? journalistically, culturally, just need to remove that K just because they're from Korea out of our, you know, out of our conversations about them and our language. Yeah. I heard the song on Z100 last night and sort of hit me afterwards that when I was listening to it, it, it didn't hit me at the time. I thought of it afterwards. That, that's right. The song is mostly in Korean language. And it, just like Despacito a couple of years ago, it just it just fit right in with the top 40. It's part of the mix. And we've said that a lot here on the podcast that uh, it's becoming less of a big deal. In uh, 2019, that songs with different languages, they, they're finding that fit within the pop world. Uh, the other thing I've been thinking about this song, you've seen the video, right? I think Halsey is really brave to dance with BTS. That's like if, if Mariah Carey says, I want to have you sing a duet with me. Maybe you think, oh, cool, but uh, do, do I deserve? Do, am I worthy? All right. Um, let's, take this, let's take this back. Let's take this cut back. Let's, 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 let's pick anybody else. Who should I give an example of? Adele. Okay. Adele says she wants to sing a duet with you, Trevor. Uh, obviously, Ooh. you're going to be cool, but at the same time, you're like, I, I don't deserve is she, to sing. I, maybe maybe oh, is, she, is she ready to be the second best singer on this track? Let's go. No. Most people might think uh, it's a little, little daunting to dance with, with. I know really nothing about dancing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but I'm, I'm mesmerized by their moves on Saturday Night Live and we've seen them elsewhere. But in the video, they – at the same time, they sort of make dancing look at the same time, if this is possible, effortless, but also that I could never do that. They just sort of sort of glide. It's just it's it's really something. Uh my dentist when I was that came up on conversation when, when I was there last week. And yeah, that came up that she was really um really like impressed with that as well. Just like I think I think who was it? It was somebody, I forgot who. Oh, another friend of mine who was talking and basically like suggested like like <laughs> genetically engineered it's yeah. almost like 
just how just how seamless it was. And I think she, I think my dentist had read somewhere that it. I think one of them maybe in an interview or something said it takes them like three months to like perfect one of their dances for their song. So obviously, you know, I mean that's some Beyonce level like dedication and routines to just have it that you know that down pat to where you're spending months for one one song routine you know that i mean just the perseverance alone just to just to make sure that happens but that just shows like i said the um the 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 technical perfection that they're going after and really by all accounts executing flawlessly dentist conversations are very one-sided it's hard to respond to what a dentist is saying to you is that what you're focused on after all that like not not the appreciation of BTS, not trying to advance it. You're just sitting there thinking, they wow. They say something to you. You can't really respond. He, you have to nod and you can't even nod sometimes. might mess everything up. Uh, I mean, it could have, uh, It was maybe while we were waiting to get numb or something. Like there's uh, there's, there's more than just drilling and, you know, extraction has got to go on, G. Yeah. So the other thing, uh, Halsey. Uh, yeah, so Halsey uh, dancing with them. They're uh, – so watch the video at three minutes and five seconds in. She just she just does one particular move that looks like uh, it's a little more difficult than some of the other moves, and uh, just seamlessly she fits in. So uh, also BTS number one on the Billboard 200 with uh, Boy with Love Parent album, Map of the Soul Persona debuts at number one. Uh, Beyonce debuts in the top ten. Trevor uh, could gain next week after a full week of tracking. Has that been has that been your listen the last last week or so? Yeah, there's been a lot to say about Beyonce lately. I mean, kind of kind of this was. A lot of whammies happening, obviously, the Netflix special, um, but then the live album on top of that, and then to have Lemonade out on all streaming services. I mean, for three years, that was that was like the golden the golden egg at title is that, that was, I mean, if, if anything, they had Lemonade and no one else could. And, and not quite sure why on you know, three-year anniversary it's out, but um, I mean, it's all the top trending thing on Twitter this morning. I'm interested to see... Um, you know, a lot of songs were hits on the Hot 100 officially after Lemonade dropped it and the album was for sale and a lot of people bought a lot of the songs. Curious to see what the reaction is like now that it's across the board on streaming services. Um, I mean, maybe there will be a swell and, I mean, could some of those songs come back? Could the album itself, you know, make a good recharge? will be kind of weird with a partial week because it's only going to have a few days into next week. But, I mean, I guess I'm just kind of surprised at, is it... If you look at Hot 100 trajectory or pop radio presence, Beyonce is not a factor like she used to be, let's say, in the, you know, the decade before. The 2010s have not been the, quite the same as the 2000s. Right. Are you surprised or does it feel like, I don't know, does it, does it feel off to you sort of how her, the current celebrity versus like the current pop music landscape treats Beyonce? Like, because she's obviously like a number one celebrity. Yeah. But it's funny that like, not, I don't want to say the receipts aren't there, but well, she sort of transcended, you know, needing, yeah, I, you know, all these just just doesn't need to stay relevant in the same way. Well, I think it's a couple things. Uh, number one is she – sometimes you forget this. She seems like she looks the same. She's been around for over 20 years now uh, having hits. So not many acts 20 years later into their careers are still having pop radio hits. That's pretty rare. Uh, again, she also changed her sound somewhere uh, – Early part of the decade, she just went more pure R&B that really hasn't been in line with uh, with Top 40 uh, the same way it was before. So I think you put uh, those two things together. She's uh, maybe bigger than ever in terms of just overall pop culture. Uh, you think of Beyonce, just total superstar, but not necessarily a pop radio. So do you have like any other examples of somebody in that same kind of boat? Because to me, maybe it's an unprecedented thing that Beyonce, the celebrity, is still so massive, still so big. 
And, you know, if you want to look at the chart pedigree or the pop radio presence or, you know, whatever kind of numbers and metrics that suggest who the current hit makers are, you know, who who else kind of has that weird gap? Is there anybody that you can think of? I mean, because it feels like even Michael Jackson or somebody didn't quite, their celebrity didn't, yeah. in a weird way, continue to elevate. I took a pill and had a dream. Yeah, I, even, I, even you know, years after the hits stopped flowing out like water. I don't know if it's uh, just because she's a bit top of mind this week. Uh, Madonna debuts on her Hot Latin Songs chart this week with Maluma on the song uh, Medellin, uh, first uh, piece of her new album. Uh, if you go back, uh, same kind of time frame, 20 years into her career, they would make it around 2004, 2005. She, I, uh, Confessions on the Dance Floor, hung up. It was kind of that era. She was she was having hits but wasn't uh, quite at the same level. She'd been a total automatic before then. So yeah, does, that, does that feel like a, like a cop? Um, I, mean, I, guess I, I guess I'm trying to think of like if Madonna did something in 05, would it be like, you know, and I mean, it's hard to measure without social media or whatever, but is it still sort of shake the earth the way it seemed like Beyonce did with this past couple, couple drops. And I mean, maybe the thing is just no, like no one, no one's been able to leverage it in the same way before, but. I guess one, one other example I think of is uh, just because he pretty much quit uh, making pop music, still performs with Billy Joel right after uh, River of Dreams in 93. He hasn't released an album since. He hasn't really written kind of one pop song in between. But he's still a superstar name, and obviously he's a lot older. But uh, same kind of thing where he's just been uh, uh, just uh, basically living off the material that he had up until uh, 1993. Still can sell out Madison Square Garden. Still everyone knows who he is, sort of. Somewhat of a comparison, although, again, kind of different because he just uh, he didn't go to another genre. He just, just stopped making new music for the most part. Yeah, may, may, maybe. I mean, I guess, the, I guess the, the big question is sort of, I don't know, where do you classify Beyonce in terms of star, legend, icon? Because, I mean, I guess it feels like... I think we know where you put it. Well, I'm, well, I'm always saying, like, like you know, like, it, I guess it's one of the things where, like, if somebody said to me, like, you know, who's, like, like who's, you know, who's the, the biggest thing in music? And I feel like it just a lot of, a lot of people, maybe instantly, like, Beyonce is probably going to be a top of mind answer. I just don't know if, you know, even, you know, 20 years out, if, if, if Madonna or Billy Joel... I mean, not 20 years out of the curse, but even let's say five years after, I don't know if if Madonna or Bill, maybe Madonna at some point probably was the right answer. I don't know if Billy Joel is like the yeah. right answer. Maybe one more is uh, is Sheer and, and before Believe in 1999, which itself was 20 years ago, but everyone everyone knows Sheer. She'd been around for 30 something years at yeah. that point. And then when Believe came back, it's, oh, she, she could still have a hit, but you know, did she really need one? Yeah. I mean, I'm, again, I'm just musing. I was thinking about this. Like I said, it's just, like I said, maybe, maybe, you know, something we haven't quite seen before. And maybe that's a part of the social media era that is just like, I think that is maybe you yeah. just, maybe you just ascended to this level in the heavens where, you know, you can just, nobody goes just, away just social media yeah. around all the time. Yeah. And just your, just your, your, your presence is, is enough. Just the celebrity of Beyonce is such a, such an interesting thing to me. All right. Uh, going over our special guests, uh, really excited to have Paul Williams, president and chairman of ASCAP, really a leading spokesman for our music creators in the digital age and a really accomplished songwriter, a Grammy winner himself, uh, co-wrote two songs, uh, Touch and Beyond with uh, Daft Punk on their album, Random Access Memories, just career goes back to hits for the Carpenters in the 70s. Again, uh, 
Rainbow Connection. So I'm going to ask Paul all about that and the upcoming ASCAP I Create Music Expo on May 2nd through 4th in Hollywood. Uh, also, one of the panelists, Anthony Rosamondo, can talk to Anthony as well. Co-wrote Shallow with, among others, Lady Gaga. Just took it to number one. So we'll ask Anthony about, about his reaction uh, to that about writing the song and and also uh, what it's like to be a songwriter uh, business-wise. How have you not brought up the the, the Stars Born connection yet? Uh, Paul Williams uh, wrote the lyrics to Evergreen by Barbara Streisand. Which, for those who don't know, is was the theme to yeah. the Streisand, Christopherson version of Stars Born, also number one hit on the Hot 100, also an Academy Award-winning tune. So You can ask of, Paul about that. A lot, of, a lot of parallels happening here. Uh, so, yep, Paul and Anthony coming up on the Billboard Chaffee Podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Paul Williams and Anthony Rosamondo, thank you so much for coming on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so uh, we'll get into a lot of different things from uh, both of your uh, songwriting histories, but let's uh, let's start with this year's uh, expo. Uh, Paul, I'll start with you. Uh, do you think this type of gathering is really more important than ever uh, for both aspiring songwriters and even more established writers uh, just trying to make a living as writers in 2019. How do you see uh, the importance of this type of uh, get-together uh, currently? Yeah, the first immediate reaction is spiritual. <laughs> it's like, you know, I was just talking about the fact that, that when I remember walking around at the very first ASCAP Expo, and it felt to me like what I thought high school was supposed to have felt like, you know. When I was in high school, I was about four foot six and running under coffee tables and was not exactly, the, you know, a member of that, you know, that great community. To walk around the, the, the quad, if you will, of Expo, it's, it's, it's remarkable because you are, first of all, you're surrounded by people that share a dream, that, 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 that they can create music that is going to make a difference in the world and all. I, I think you start with that, and then you sit down, and all of a sudden you're watching, so, you know, some, somebody like Megan Trainer, you know, who, is, who was a, you know, who, who attended Expo as, you know, as a songwriter and about two years later is, is up on stage as a panelist. Uh, same thing with Aloe Black. You realize that, that you're part of, of, of a, of, in a way, a movement. I mean, it's, it's, you, you, you walk into that room, you listen to somebody like Quincy Jones being interviewed 
and uh, it's it, it all of a sudden it begins to feel a little closer. You share wonderful ideas, uh, you have that camaraderie, and most importantly, you have the potential to to collaborate. And you know, you meet other writers, you meet other you meet publishers and the like, and and. You know, I always tell writers, get out and collaborate with people because you double your chances because you double the amount of people that can make a difference in your life, you know, when you do that. So I'm, a, you know, I'm a, a big, big fan of Expo. I think it's, it's the, you know, it's the largest collection. It's, it's the largest event in, in, in North America, you know, of this type where you can rub elbows with the, with the greatest songwriters, the most, well, I mean, excuse me, with the most successful songwriters and, and the great songwriters that tomorrow and one of whom might be you and uh, yeah as much as it's uh, about uh, the business of being a songwriter you're saying paul it's still just a real creative ear uh going on uh, the whole time yeah ultimately you know I, you know the, the 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 wonderful part of about expo is you you know you get you know the fi- the fires are stoked and and uh, are burning brightly as far as the creative but you also have a chance to sit down you know i'll do an a- advocacy panel about what's going on in dc this you know this has been a, a remarkable period of change for us you know when, when you know with streaming with when when streaming came in and, and you know all of a sudden the you know the the proliferation of music was intense you know the, the remuneration for music you know not so much and so you know we we went to work on that the music modernization act i think is going to make a huge is a huge difference uh, it's time of, of great changes, and and what what I I would hope we can do is really light the fires as far as being advocates for the young songwriter. You know, you know, get to know the playing field, get to know you know what you, you know what you're dealing with in in the in the business world and in, and in the 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 uh, the political world as a, as a young songwriter and become become an advocate. You you can make a difference. Yeah, probably everyone has heard of ASCAP, but uh, can you, Paul, just explain exactly what ASCAP is and what it does and and some of the most uh, key roles that it plays? Well, I joined ASCAP in 1972. ASCAP is the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. We are a performing rights organization. When music is performed anywhere, anywhere, on any device... We, you know, we, we, I'll take it back one step further before the music is played. We are, first of all, advocates. We are advocates for the songwriter and the publisher and for the music creator. Uh, we, we negotiate for, you know, uh, fees for, for the, the music that we license. We, we negotiate the fee. We license your music to, you know, I always say, say that I was able to write my second hit because ASCAP was out there collecting the money for my first hit. But we collect the fees, uh, the, uh, for the, the publishers and writers, send them immediately to the, uh, you know, to, to the music creators and, and their publishers for uh for a very low fee of you know oper- operating expenses ascap incidentally is is of by and for the membership you know the ascap is 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 uh, uh a member organ member owned and operated organization uh, the the board of directors of ascap is is 12 publishers and 12 music creators 12 uh, uh, uh lyricists composers and songwriters and it's been that way since 1914 1914 and it's a boring story but i'm going to tell it anyway uh, puccini <laughs> came to the united states and he was in new york he went to an italian restaurant they have a nice italian meal with Victor Herbert, I think it was. Uh, I mean, I wasn't there. I'm not that old. 
but Victor Herbert t- yeah, took took Puccini to to this restaurant, and Puccini and he said, and what, there was a string quartet playing music, and they played one of, of Victor Herbert's pieces, and he went, Puccini, this is my music. What do you think? He said, oh, it's wonderful, and nice to hear it. Sounds okay. What are you getting paid for it? And Victor Herbert said. What do you mean? And he said, well, in, in my country, in my country, uh, we have a performing rights organization that, that collects when music is performed in bars, grills, restaurants, anywhere that is performed. Uh, and the idea was born for ASCAP in this country. And, and for 105 years at this point, ASCAP has been collecting uh licensing and collecting for songwriters and and for music creators and what it boils down to is food and you know on the table and gas in the car mm. you know my my daughter is a licensed clinical social worker thank you ascap you know mm. my son is an entrepreneur with a really bad idea that he's going to make work he keeps fixing it <laughs> thank you ascap <laughs> So you mentioned earlier um, a little bit about how streaming has come through and disrupted, we know, a lot of parts of the industry. Obviously, we talk a lot about artists. We talk about how it's affected record labels. How has, you know, streaming come through and changed the business and function of protecting songwriters' rights? Well, the first thing that it's done is, is, as I mentioned, the proliferation of music is intense. You know, there was a time when you went home and put a, a record on, on your record player or turned on the radio, and those were your two basic sources of music and all. And these days, you know, I'm, as my wife reminds me again and again and again, get your face out of your screen. That's Ireland out the window. You might want to look at it now while we're here. And I go, yeah, but I'm watching, you know, or I'm listening to there's more music being played than ever before on the history of music of the, uh, on, on the most magnificent, you know, uh, wonderful little devices. Uh, you take your music with you everywhere you go. That's unique. That's wonderful, you know. Uh, so, for, you know, for the opportunity to, to enjoy music, it's never been better. Uh, as far as the compensation for music, it's been a, a, a challenge. And the, the part of the challenge is, is in the devices, or rather is in, is in the, uh, the, the, the laws that we've operated under for a long time. And those are things that are, we're, we're beginning to change. I mean, we just, you know, celebrated a, a major breakthrough in, in, uh, in this country with the Music Modernization Act. And in the EU, you know, with the Article 13, all of a sudden, we, we're in a place where things are changing. You know, the, make, you know r- making music is a labor of love, but, but people need to understand it's a labor. You know, it's, you do, you, you know, you know, I know you love to write, but, but by God, if you didn't get paid for it, it would be very sad and all. So, uh, we, and we would miss you. I personally would miss you. But I have to tell you that 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 the challenges have been with with the streaming services. I I think we're moving forward into a new place. I will say one thing about the Music Modernization Act. You know, it. I was raised. This taken away too far back. But I was raised in a household where my dad was a let's drop the big one Republican, and my mom was what he referred to as like a as a communist light. She was a Democrat and all. And they would they would say that we're going to cancel each other's vote every year, and they they would they would swear they weren't going to vote, but then. They'd go out and they'd, they would both vote and all. And it was a time, and I've lived through a time, where Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy, you know, totally on opposite sides of the aisle in, in, in 
philosophy and in actions worked together to do the the Americans with Disability Act. They did it. They did important uh, legislation for for AIDS and for children and all. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to be president of ASCAP when I was asked to run, I said, you know what? I would love to dive into both sides of the aisle and see if we can't get both sides of the aisle to working together to you know to really make some some real changes and and. And you know, it, it's taken six years to get the MMA together, but but it passed. The president signed it, and uh, it's a great first step. So, from the business side to uh, the creative side, and uh, Anthony, let's uh, bring you on this. And Paul, <clears throat> I'm so, I just absorbed so much information. I'm, I'm really, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Is it true that both sides? Uh, it was almost 100 to nil or something, right? Like. The music modernization, yeah, uh, yeah it was unanimous. In it's both unanimous, the House right? And, in this and, day and age, the fact yeah. that both sides voted unanimously yeah. really says something about how how much we needed that, and how it's, unfair it's been, right? It says how it says something about how much everybody loves music, you right? Know? And at the risk of, of of harming the, you know, it it, 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 it began with a with a, a a congressman from Georgia, you know, uh, uh, Doug Collins. And uh, Hakeem Jeffries, a, a, a Democrat from, uh-huh. from New York, who you know were willing to sit down together and say, "How do we do this?" Oh, there's a point I was actually going to make, which I should should just to, I think to to cap this whole thing off. The big cultural shift for the MMA was that we started working together as an industry. From the very beginning, every time I went to to Washington D.C., the thing I heard again and again and again was, "You've got to come to us, you know, as an industry. You right. can't be shoving each other out of the way for your piece of the pie." And what happened on the MMA, which I hope will continue it to happen again and again, is is that there was a a, a willingness to bend for the mm-hmm. you know for the highest good of all concerned. Uh, God bless everybody that signed, that said yes to the MMA on both sides, both the House and the Senate, and all the people from the you know from the record the labels to to uh, the 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 National Music you know Publishers Association NMPA w- was there uh, and the uh, Nashville Songwriters Association and right down Sona Songwriters of North America everybody stepped wow. up to the plate. And everybody gave a little, and now I'm going to hush up, Anthony, and let you talk. Well, the gravity of the situation's really hit me now that you've explained it. I kind of wish I had party poppers or something because <laughs> it makes me feel a little bit more secure about the amount of the songs I've written that are, you know, they're not hits, but they're they're they gain streams. And it's like, hit. how am I supposed they're to? They're not hits yet. Well, you know, if they're only going to exist in that plat in those platforms, the streaming platforms, it's like, well, how am I going to? I can't survive off of only that. Yeah. You know. At the least thing, that's been the case for the last ten what's years. One, you know? What's wonderful about what, the way we operate right now and everything when we did come into the world of streaming, which is the world of zeros and ones, we're you know we are that we're we're you know we're uh, dealing with literally trillions of performances and and yeah. you know, packets of zeros and ones. To get yeah. To, so you're not losing the the you know instead of taking a sampling that is. Much smaller, you know, it was always impressive, but never as impressive as it is today that we can really keep track of the performances and make sure you quickly get your money. Zeros and ones. Yeah. Till I'm said and done. Yeah. <laughs> chase, them, chase them down. Yeah. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? 
Anthony, we got to ask you about uh, Shallow. So uh, congratulations on the success. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, can you take us back to the writing process? Just uh, uh, contrary to popular opinion, Allie uh, did not write it and premiere it in the supermarket parking lot. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, she didn't write it after buying a pint of milk, I guess. <laughs> Although I suppose dairy could be inspiring for writing songs, but, you know, um, I guess it, it started with a conversation, which for me is kind of how all the the most um, meaningful songs, I guess, I've been a part of writing have started. So uh, I think we had steaks. We s sat in a restaurant a little too long, as you do, and... Um, and then we went back to the studio and I kind of started with, uh, I mean, it's, it's funny because she said to me, she's like, did we write this song in two days? I was like, yeah, it was two sessions. And she's like, but didn't I cut the vocal on the second one? So was that one? She's like, so how many hours was that? But the truth is, it's like, really, it's like 10 years, you know, of of living, you know, that gets distilled into this. I don't know how many, you know, th four stanzas is the whole song, right? And the lyric. Um, but yeah, it was really, really natural. I have a long history with Andrew, uh, and Mark, uh, and her. So <clears throat> to have a conversation with people that you have so much history with is very open. Um, I literally sat down, Andrew picked up the guitar. He did the first chord changes. She sang the first lyric ish, not quite what the melody was. Uh, I did a response lyric. The next one, originally with the second verse was the first verse. Right, because that's the um, that's from the female perspective, um, and um, yeah, right down the line into the pre, and then we kind of had the idea for the chorus. We didn't. I think there's a lot of freedom in writing the song because it wasn't um, it wasn't meant to be a Gaga record, it wasn't meant to be um, on Mark's a Mark record or a feature for a Mark album, um, and we really didn't have a like it didn't have the sense like it was going to work or we were going to even get it into the film. Or I think we were, if there was any aim, it was like, maybe we get the credit song, you know? And it was, I think the first one, um, for the whole, for the whole film. So the only real thing that we, we just kind of talked about that conversation between a man and a woman and, um, you know, and my, my understanding of the Bradley's character was this, um, <clears throat> the trials and tribulations, of uh you know mental illness and um you know substance um problems issues so i mean i don't want to go into it too personally but it was very easily relatable for me and um yeah. we had one sense that he was going to maybe drown at the end uh in the original um or that whatever version of the the script they're on at that point so so the idea that maybe, I don't know, I'm thinking back, I think that's where we grabbed the shallow metaphor. You know, we went something oceanic uh, and, you know, we thought, well, if, you know, if they like it, we kind of like nailed the ending and maybe it'll be in the credits and wouldn't that be great? Um, and for me, I guess there's a freedom in like kind of writing an epic, uh, epic ballad, you know, which isn't. I don't think any of our norms, maybe for her, cause she has that in her. She's an epic singer. She's got that huge, big voice, you know, sure. but for, for Andrew and I particularly, and even Mark who's really more of like a roots music guy to do something in this vein. There's a lot of freedom in it, you know, because 
Maybe we get to write this like epic rock ballad, you know, that, that's how it just started turning out. And I think if it was generated for a different purpose, we might have been a little bit more reticent to like push that out, push the boat out into that huge, you know what I mean? Um, so I think the freedom in it and and, and the, the, the camaraderie and the kind of trust, um, you know, we're kind of all familiar with each other's stories, you know, um, it just got reduced in the skillet down to those four or five stanzas we've got in that song. And um, that's pretty much how it came out. But the, the thing is the way it was used and, 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 and received by the audience is kind of the fifth member who's obviously not the writer, but <clears throat> Bradley saw the song as a different thing. He's the one that kind of saw it as like being the characters writing the song and, and speaking to each other um, and change that arrangement, which, you know, as uh, the, the final version of the song, the arrangement is verse pre verse, pre chorus, bridge chorus, which is pretty unorthodox. Um, arrangement and the first time i heard that arrangement and i think also like uh with lucas his band playing you know like <clears throat> none of us have that finger picking under our hands like that so you know the original demos like it's the changes and stuff but um i think it's important to remember that the song was basically contextualized in the film by bradley and, and it was a really brilliant idea the way he used it we could have never predicted that secondly you know maybe it was a bit on the nose to call it shallow if that character actually drowned in the end, you know? So there's some magic after, you know, we want to write a great song, but we've written great songs before Paul. Right. And they, sometimes they just don't get to the other side. And, you know, it's, I think that's why you said like at the expo, you know, successful songwriters, you started to say great because there are some great songwriters yeah. that don't have that success, yeah, but they wrote exactly. a great song. So that's, you know, in this scenario, it's like you always just want to write a great song that has a, a, a feeling to it. And it, we were, it felt very emotionally draining almost <laughs> as we were finishing it. It was like, whoa, um, maybe it's too much. You know, maybe it, it goes, it, it doesn't, it won't translate. But um, the, uh, the power of that woman's voice and the way she can connect with an audience um, is just extraordinary. So, and this, and the film was beautifully made. So, I mean, you know, there's all these other aspects, elements, I guess, that line up after you, right? You know, what we felt was like a really good song, you know? It just, uh, the other stuff is like, God willing, it, 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 it reaches that many people. And, um, you know, then it's just like, holy shit, I can't believe we're here, you know? Uh, along with all the success, uh, must be kind of cool, like, given, uh, uh, your ASCAP backgrounds and your ties of to see this movie see, be so big when it's at its heart in some ways, a movie about songwriting. It's really a, a great uh, a tool to have for uh, upcoming songwriters to see a movie like this and uh, everyone learning that, yeah, songwriting uh, can really make you star. Yeah, it's really cool, especially because it's like, you know, because it's not like hip or trendy or I think Gaga texted me at one point and said, we were kind of going back and forth like, wow, it's really working outside of the film. It's working on, it's starting to work on radio, et cetera. I was like, man, it doesn't sound like anything on the radio. And she, I think she wrote completely counterculture. And it's like, yeah, actually, even though it has such classic elements to it in this day and age, it is quite counterculture. And it is more about, and, and uh, you know, as I've been doing some uh, sessions since then, it, it's almost like through this song, we've kind of like jabbed, 
the industry a little bit in the in the gut and went like, remember songwriting, songwriting, you know, not just like I've got one hook, I'm going to repeat it and then I'm going to pitch it in auto tune and then we're just going to like, you know what I mean? Let yeah. the beat take yeah. over. It's like you actually have to write the full idea, you know, the way you write a play it has a beginning and a middle and an end, you know. Um, Bob Dylan wrote third and fourth verses, you know what I mean? It's like, um, and it seems like that's inspired young people. Um, it's kind of crazy to see like six-year-olds and seven-year-olds trying to bang on the piano and and sing the song. And, you know, if that means um, a small percentage of those kids become songwriters and, and also write something inspiring 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, like just to be a part of that lineage is, is very exciting. I mean, it's a movie about songwriters. I, you know what I mean? Like not ten, since the one that you wrote, I, how can I remember um, something that had that impact? You know, yeah. you know the the th interesting thing about just uh, just hearing you describe it and everything is that the one thing that 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 I think is a huge part of the success of the film and a huge part of the success of what you wrote is that that there is a vulnerability. I mean, yeah. it's interesting because Gaga, it does have that big voice, does have that, you know, that large personality and, and that immense talent. But what touched me was to, you know, right down to the moments of, I mean, when, when you could see her, when, there's there's a moment in in the rehab when she goes to visit him in rehab mm. and she says basically no nothing's changed I'm still with you and you know she's lying you can see it in her eyes that something's different about the relationship yeah he's his power is gone in that relationship right and that's there's something of that in the in the songwriting as well uh, you know the you know it, it sounds like a setup but it's not but it's the 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 theme of of Expo this year is write your truth. Mm. And uh, I, you know, I'm I'm a huge believer that we, you know when we try to write hit songs, we don't. Yeah, I'm but the when same. we write what's in the center of our chest, we we reach people because we're just the same. Because, I, I totally because we have the same set of oh, I'm nothing without you, and please come back and all that stuff. I mean, it's just it's been dragging me around this planet for years. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Falling in love with people that just just you know I just don't feel that way about you. You know, you know. I mean, I'm happily married now for 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 how many since twenty. 2005 so well that gives you know, me hope but the fact is that that you know there's a there's a story that I actually plan to tell I think at the membership meeting about writing your truth is my little brother's name was mentor Williams he was uh, six years younger than me and eight inches taller than me and and he was uh wanted to be a songwriter like his like his big brother hmm. and uh so he came out to to California, and I you know, got him a six-month deal at at A and M Records, and he tried to write hits for for six months, and nothing. Nobody would listen to anything all the way through the record. Right. And then there was there was a, a moment when he had to go in and clean out his office, which he did on a Saturday because the Monday was going to be his last day. Say goodbye to your you know your imagined all the trinkets in career, a cardboard you know? box kind of vibe. Yeah, just sort of you're gone. You know, you're not. You're not gonna. It's not good. And he he went to the studio that day. That you know, it was the old Chaplin lot. You know, uh, and he went to his office, and it was pouring rain outside. There was nobody on the lot, but basically him. And he's sitting there, and he goes, "I'm." He was totally confused. He says, "I don't know what I have to do to get somebody to listen to that." And he picked up a pen and he wrote, "Day after day, I'm more confused." And he looked out. It was raining. And he wrote, "Yet I look for the light in the pouring rain." You know that's a game I hate to lose. I'm counting on you to give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I wanna get lost in your rock and roll. 
and drift away. He reached into the center of his chest and he wrote his truth. Yeah. And by writing his truth at that moment, he changed his life. It's so crazy. Like, I get, as you're telling that, <clears throat> I feel this chill start in my spine and then it hits my chest and then it rolls down. And it's like, I can, I can get that moment. Yeah. And it's strange when you really are stripped away of everything. Yeah. There's a moment there and there's maybe some kind of crazy clarity that happens yeah. when you got nothing left to lose or something. When uh, we stop defending ourselves yeah. and begin confessing. Yeah, exactly. Know, it's, it's the power of confession about what we're mm -hmm. feeling and all. And I think, you know, I'm a parent's worst nightmare because I will tell any kid that comes up to me that wants to write a song, I say, if it's in your, if music's in your heart, you know, go chase it. Go give it to the world. We need right. it, you know. Yeah. And I think that the way we get to experience it and the way we get to, to fully benefit from those, those painful dreams, because they're painful when, when, when it's not working. I mean, I would be willing to guess that in both of our lives, there was a moment when we couldn't get anybody to listen. Man. And that moment when you go, you know, and 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 somebody says, you know what, you know, Roger Nichols and I wrote a wrote a wedding a, a commercial for a, a a bank commercial that Karen Carpenter sang. It was we've only just begun, and it just went, you I mean, know, it's... and my world changed because an angel sang it. And it was just, it's an incredible you know, song. so you never know. You never know. It's my first girlfriend, first love of my life, who, who was the gateway into that. Whoa. To the, I'm already knocking the mic over, man. You can't take that rock and roll out of me, bro. Um, yeah, um, yeah, it was the gateway into that song for me. When I, and she helped me see the light on that. And I was like, oh, this is one of the greatest. Like, yeah, you know, she, Karen. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. God bless her. Love, soft as an easy chair. All right, Paul, I, I got to ask because I'm, I'm going to kill myself if I don't ask. We have such an obvious connection between the two of you. Um, obviously, good friends, both songwriters, both Academy Award winners of themes from Star is Born. Uh, Paul with Barbara Streisand. What do you remember about making that theme with her and you know how that went off to be another Oscar winner? It was really exhausting trying to write a song and pretend you're not intimidated at the same time. It's just, you know, <laughs> people I said, you know, wasn't it, was it intimidating to write, you know, with, with songs for Barbara Streisand? And I said, you know what it was, but it was also really intimidating to write five songs for Chris Christopherson. Cause this is the man who wrote, you know, Sunday morning coming down, putting on my cleanest dirty shirt. I mean, I'm going, oh my God, how do I ever show these songs to, to Chris? I brought Kenny Asher in to, to write the songs for A Star Is Born with me, and we wrote most of the songs together. But Barbara, it was interesting because Barbara is, is you know, I mean, she was, this was an amazingly important project for her, and she was, you know, turbocharged to get this done and get it done right. But she, but she picked up a guitar and she said, what do you think of this? Is this something you can use? And all of a sudden she was like a nine-year-old girl. She was just learning to play the guitar, so between every chord cha change, she would pause and look for it. So she went, what do you think of this? Bum, ba -da -da -dee -da -ba. Look for the chord. Bum, ba -da -da -dee -da -da -da. Look for the chord, stretch the fingers. I want, are you kidding? That's gorgeous, and I will write uh, write the lyrics to that, and, and I think that's your love theme. 
And because it was one of the last things that we were shooting, and and uh, it's it's kind of the last thing that I wrote. And so there was uh, there was a lot of where's my song, where's my lyric, where's my song, while I was writing, you know, Chris's stuff and and the other stuff for her and all. Uh, but I wrote the song, and it's interesting when you talked about change, the second verse became the first verse. Mm. With with uh, with Evergreen, it was the first two lines because I wrote "Love fresh as the morning air, love soft as an easy chair," and I went, "What? What? what? It doesn't sing an easy chair. It doesn't feel like easy chair, you know." Yeah. So I was going. I finished the work, and I was going on tour with with Olivia Newton John. And I called Barbara from the airport. I said, well, "This we'll probably get laughed out of town for starting a, a a song with a line about an easy chair." But what do you think of going love soft as an easy chair, love fresh as the morning air? Because morning sings better there. She's a great idea. Click. And I was what? Well, you're welcome, by golly. You know, <laughs> she was back at work already. I was, you know, she she uh, and she sang it, and and it's just it was it was. You know, it it doesn't hurt to have Barbara Streisand sing the song. No, at it all. really it does not. doesn't. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a, it was a, a, and again that moment we, that we both share. It's interesting that moment when you walk on stage at the at the at the Oscars and you turn and you look at the audience. What you know? What people don't realize is what that's like. Because in my generation, I'm turning and I'm looking at. Kirk Douglas and Gregory Peck and Elizabeth Taylor and whatever all you know all that yeah and your generation it was the same thing there's Glenn all the Close stars right there, there and there. Spike yeah. and Barry Jenkins yeah. and frightening isn't it just like all right you know <laughs> yeah yeah happy to be but am I a part you know, of this crew not really <laughs> yeah I mean I don't know I've always been kind of a loner and an outsider so this has really thrust me into the world of. Um, Collaborating and meeting a lot of um, a lot of people. I will. So I will. It's a blessing. I, that I will is. say one thing about that, Anthony. That that I, I will. I will share with you. The one of the great discoveries for me about about this business. That the old guy said, is that we don't have to give up our fan card. So I walk into a room. You know, I can right. be excited about seeing you. I can be excited about seeing Quincy. Yeah. I can be excited about seeing Aloe Black or you know right. or, uh, or or Diane Warren. Or, yeah. You know, uh, it was a real, it was real fun for me <clears throat> getting to hang with Diane, and she's really she's great. Trip, I really she? like her sense of humor. Yeah, she's such an extraordinary talent, and she drops f bombs with the best yeah. of them. So she got yeah. to me right away. <laughs> I was, uh, I was like, yeah, man, I get her. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. I just want to ask you about another of your absolute classic songs, uh, Rainbow Connection. What do you remember about uh, writing a song that's uh, really just affected the generation since? It's the that's the little song that does. It was I think part of the of the the heart of that song is it is is comes directly from Jim Hansen. I mean, working with Jim Hansen was a you know, and I did a bunch of stuff. I did a thing called Emmett Otter's Jugman Christmas. Yeah, I wrote the songs. Do you know that one? Of course. Oh my God! Formative, how tiny. Child ears, man. Well, All those that's melodies. Where, that's where I started with them, and then I did the Muppet movie, and I brought Kenny Asher in. And you know, there was a there was a song in another movie that that kind of set the bar for us, 
when Jiminy Cricket in Pinocchio climbs up into a window, takes off his hat, looks at the stars and sings, when you wish upon a star, it's like, oh my God, that's magic. How do we do that for Kermit? You know, Kermit's sitting in, in, you know, in the middle of the swamp. I asked Jim, what's he doing? He said, um, he's playing a banjo. I okay, he's playing a banjo. <laughs> Whatever. So this is Kermit's I Am song. This is the song where, where Kenny and I wanted to show that Kermit has an inner life, that he has, you know, he's, you know, he's this, he's kind of the, the Jiminy Cricket, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, of frogs. He's, He's uh, he's responsible and he's and he's and and easygoing and all the an able amphibian. Yeah, he's just he's remarkable. So we we actually wrote ourselves into a terrible corner when you think about it. We wrote, you know, uh, uh, why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Which is important. That, that line right there tells you that he goes to, to movies and he knows about songs and whatever. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. Wait a minute. We've just written ourselves into a horrible corner. And in my life, again and again, no is a gift. And this was a gift because what it allowed us to do is it allowed us to have Kermit no longer be the the mentor, the teacher, the preacher, the wise man allowed him to be a member of the audience because he goes to, so we've been told and some choose to believe it. I know the wrong way and see someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, dreamers and me. I think it was a seminal moment for the writing of that song because what what happened in that moment is we it got us out of the preachy place, got us into a place where, where Kermit could be, you know, somebody that was as uh, amazed with, you know, the questions are even holier than the answers. The yeah. answers are, are kind of gone. You dug you yourself know? out of that hole with hope, basically, in that moment. Yeah. Because exactly. I'm like a three, four years old, right, when I yeah. see this. And Kermit is like probably one of my favorites. Yeah. But I'm, as you're telling this, I'm realizing that it's that song that gave him that emotional depth, that third or fourth layer. And that hit my little brain as well as being like, oh, it's just really, really something. You know, we're, ver- we're you know, obviously I really mean, proud of that song. You wrote song, song for, a, I mean, as you're telling it too, I get to kind of hear it in a different brain. You're like, okay, so I'm writing a song for a frog who's playing a banjo in a swamp, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's like, and you build that depth into it. It's pretty, um, I'm enjoying an appreciation for it now. As you know, adult. that whole fan cool. thing is, I, I did a duet of it with Willie Nelson and uh, and to hear Willie sing those words is, I mean, you talk about two old guys talking to each other, Willie and I, but from, you know, again, I'm sitting there singing with Willie and all I'm going is, is going, oh my God, I'm singing with Willie. Oh, yeah. I'm singing with Jason Mraz. I'm singing with, you know, it's just... If I could have jammed with Towns Van Zandt, man, yeah, I could have died on yeah. the spot. Yeah, it's it's a, it, it's a, you know, we're the luckiest people. I think what we do is holy work. I love what we do. I love that we write songs and and, and with stuff that we stumbled through and, and suffered through and whatever gets to be how we feed our families. Paul and Anthony, thank you so much. These are amazing insights. I know anyone uh, going to the ASCAP, I Create Music Expo on May 2nd through 4th in Hollywood. Uh, this was any indication. They're certainly uh, going to get their money's worth. Uh, so kind. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank 
thanks to Anthony and Paul for being on the Billboard Chapter Podcast. Uh, that's it for this week's uh, podcast. Uh, next week, we'll see if, again, where Beyonce is on the charts, if uh, Old Town Road is uh, number one with probably another huge streaming song, even if it's uh, down a little bit. Uh, thought we'd close this week with uh, this new song by Lil Dicky Earth, which is sort of a We Are the World for 2019. It's uh, everybody is on here and everyone uh, everyone plays an animal because uh, it's it's about saving the earth and how we, we all share the earth. Uh, Justin Bieber is, is a baboon. So we've been wondering when new Bieber music would come along. Here it is. This He's a baboon. My, just, yeah, just time for Earth Day. Yeah. So obviously very timely with uh, all the goings on. Um, and yeah, I mean, really like a superstar yeah. kind of kind of list of acts who Little Dicky got together for this. Ariana Grande is a zebra. Halsey is a lion cub. Ed Sheeran is a koala bear. Uh, Miley Cyrus is an elephant, as she says, with junk in the trunk. I couldn't have written a better fun than that. You, yes, yes. I, yeah, I'll co-sign that. Uh, so it's all for awareness for we love the earth org and climate change and, and really how little time uh, there could be to uh, to really save the earth at this point. So the most amazing thing about this is it's uh, one point you're totally laughing watching all this and then uh, so really uh, tugging at your heartstrings and, and how important uh, this cause is at the same time. That's that's kind of impressive to do that in a song that one second is just total goofy comical at the same time, making a really serious message. So here it is, the all-star collaboration. We can all get behind because we all have a stake in the earth. Here is Earth. We love the Earth. It is our planet. We love the Earth. It is our home. Hi, I'm a baboon. I'm like a man, just less advanced, and my anus is huge. Hey, I'm a zebra. No one knows what I do, but I look pretty cool. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.